0: Good evening everyone. It's amazing to be here tonight with you all and welcome to Awesome. Why don't we pray folks as we finish our last sermon in the series on the book of Song of Songs? Let's pray and ask for God's help in this. Heavenly Father, we just want to pray and, uh, that you might be with us tonight as we look at your word here uh, in this wisdom part of the scriptures. Uh, Father, it is a really challenging book for us and confronting in many ways, but also uh, really enjoyable and fun. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be wise and thoughtful as we read it, that we might uh, learn your thoughts uh, that are here in front of us and that your spirit might be at work, Heavenly Father, working in us to change us so that we, be, we might be uh, more like the way you want us to be, that we might be able to be like Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. It was March 1942, World War II was in full swing, and on the island of Java, the Japanese had the upper hand. There were prisoner of war camps for civilians and soldiers, and they were getting full. The conditions in those prisoner of war camps were utterly shocking, there was very little food, there was poor health, as you can imagine, and there was the threat of death if you made any attempt to escape whatsoever, as you can imagine. Families were torn apart within weeks. I want to tell you about the story of one man who went to a prisoner of war camp. He was a civilian working on the island. And at the time that he was taken to the camp, immediately he was separated from his wife and his two children. And one of those children was just a newborn. In fact, in the prisoner of war camp, the only thing that he had to tell the story of his marriage was the wedding band that he wore on his finger, and he did not let it out of his sight. But months passed. Over time, the conditions in the camp took its toll. He lost 40 kilograms in weight and was becoming very unhealthy, very unwell. At that time, he was approached by a doctor in the camp, who couldn't help but notice both his poor health and also the wedding ring on his finger. The doctor offered a trade. If you give me that wedding ring, I'll get you some food. In fact, I'll get you enough food to last you a week. Seven boiled eggs was the trade. One wedding ring for seven boiled eggs. What do you reckon the man said? He said, no, to part with my wedding ring is something that I will never do. The doctor responded, Mr. Vonk, think it over. It is better that your wife gets you back without your wedding ring than for her to get a wedding ring without her husband. And so the trade was made and my grandfather, as it turned out, survived the war. And he went on to live out that commitment to his wife for another 60 years. This is what commitment looks like when it counts. Commitment in marriage is not so much about how nice your wedding photos look or what a nice wedding ring you have but about whether you are prepared to make the necessary sacrifices in order to keep your promise. And if you're fortunate enough to find someone who is willing to make sacrifices in order to stay with you, then you've found a partner that you can trust through the many challenges of life. And there are all kinds of challenges that a couple might experience in life. War, sickness, recession, financial hardship, and on and on it goes. But it is that kind of love that is required with commitment if the marriage is going to last the test of time. Love is such a powerful force, isn't it, in our world? Love is a powerful force, but it needs commitment in order for it to be sustained. And that's the lesson that we learn here at the end of the book of Song of Songs. Song of Songs has been for us a bit of an adventure into the intoxicating elixir of love, hasn't it? For some of us, we've just kind of been drinking it in. For others, it's felt a little bit much. I have to say, I'm in that boat at times. Getting up here to speak about it week in, week out has been a challenge at times for me. But it's been an intoxicating journey. As the the lesson of love, the wisdom of it, is given to the young women especially, the reminder at the very end here is on the need for commitment, for love to flourish. So let's have a look at it here, shall we? Um, Song of Songs, chapter 8 verse 5 through to 7 so in verse 5 we see and hear the voice of the friends of the couple and they're looking outwards and they see the young couple who've been the very very much the star of the show and they're on their way home and as we're told we're told that she's leaning on him you can imagine maybe his arm around her her head on his shoulder and that's a I don't know what you think when you read that or you imagine that picture, but isn't that a little bit different to the picture that we saw last week of this young couple? It's a more mature picture of their love, isn't it? Kind of hand in hand, uh, head on the shoulder. The roller coaster of last week is, well, that was last week. Now they're holding hands on the train home. And I think this is just a little insight for us to remind us that there are different pictures of love Uh, aren't there? Different pictures of love to enjoy and explore when you are in fact committed to another person. Yes, there are the wedding days and yes, there are the weekends away. But there's also all sorts of other things to enjoy. Love has many different perspectives. There's enjoying, uh, enjoying breakfast together in the morning. There's the hug that you get when you come home from work. There's the sigh of relief when the day is finally done and if you're here today and you're in a kind of committed marriage I just want to continue to encourage you to work on the different ways to explore what your love might look like at different points in the day and so here we see the young lady leaning on her husband and then it goes on and then i want you to notice what she says in verse six so in verse six she says Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Now I was reading that at first, and I thought, um, I wonder if it's like a real seal. <laughs> you know, because Song of Songs is, after all, full of images of animals, right? So like, this could be place like a seal on your. You can imagine that if you like. Um, but that's not the kind of seal that they're talking about. You. They're talking like the kind of seal that you would put on a parchment to demonstrate your identity, to demonstrate your kind of ownership. And that's what she's saying to her husband. She's saying, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. In other words, she wants to be the one who seals up his heart and also wants to be the visible seal on his arm. Not just in here, it's out here. And I think that was her way of saying that he belongs to her. And that's her way of saying that she's committed to him. I think in our modern day life, perhaps the best way that we can symbolically express the kind of commitment in marriage is probably with wedding rings, actually, isn't it? Would you agree? That's one way of saying, I'm committed to you and you're committed to me. We've made these promises to one another. And it's also a way of saying to the rest of the world, hands off, (laughs) isn't it? Hands off, I'm taken. Seals were a marker of identity And a marker of commitment. And she wanted the world to know that their love had this kind of commitment. And the reason why comes in the next part of the verse. So remember she said, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. And then she says the reason why, For, that's the kind of word that shows the logic between the two parts of the verse. For or because love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. Now, let me ask you, does that sound right? Do you, on first glance? On first hearing, does it sound right? Love is as strong as death? Because, at least to my ears, I might have said that death seems stronger than love, actually. Would you agree? Death seems to be stronger than love. And after all, when a couple get married... The one thing that everyone agrees on, everyone disagrees on lots of things at weddings, but the one thing that everyone agrees on, that the way in which a marriage is supposed to end, if everything goes well, the one way it's supposed to end is if one of the partner passes first. Till death do us part. That's what we promise. In other words, it feels like even with this commitment made of love at a wedding, it still feels like death is stronger. Death seems to get the last say. You see, I think that what we see in these kinds of marriage vows is this recognition of the, the, the kind of frailty and the, the limitations on our life. Even when we fall in love with someone and make a commitment to them, there is a limitation on the way that kind of commitment can be expressed. We promise to be together till death us do part. And the kind of love that is going to flourish, needs that commitment. It needs that commitment. This commitment to enter into suffering with someone else, is what love needs in order for it to thrive. And that is the kind of commitment that you are making to someone else when you get married. Some of you here today are married, others of you may be married in the future. But that's something that you promise. Often when we think about weddings, we think about all the wonderful things that we get to enjoy on the lead up to the wedding and after the wedding. And of course, there are many great and wonderful things. Song of Songs has been a whole book that describes those things for us in great and intimate detail at times. But there's also a solemnity and a seriousness to the kind of commitment that a couple makes to each other in marriage. Because what you are promising is to be there till the very end. When a couple gets married, what you're saying is that if everything goes well, I will be here until you die, or you will be here till I die. That's a commitment, that's a willingness to enter even into suffering for the sake of love. And it's the strength of that commitment that's required if the love is going to pass the numerous other challenges that are going to beset it along the way. And those of us who have been married for some time know firsthand the many challenges that marriages face. So, that's what she's saying here, isn't it? Love is as strong as death. It needs commitment in order for it to flourish. But we also have another metaphor that she uses here too, at the end of verse 6. Again, have a look with me and see it. She says, it burns like blazing fire. That's love. Love burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Now, this reference to a mighty flame is, I'm going to tell you, actually talking about God. It's talking about the flame of God. In fact, the only place where God's name is referenced in the entire book of Song of Songs is right here in that word mighty. The phrase mighty flame means the flame of God. This is the place where God is referenced. And I think that's important to understand why she is saying commitment is so important for love to flourish. I think that's what she's saying is that when we experience this kind of love and the strength of this love, we as ordinary human beings get to point to something far greater. And that's one of the big questions in Song of Songs, isn't it? If you remember all the way back to the first week of Song of Songs, one of the things that we talked about was, is Song of Songs really talking about men and women falling in love and getting married? Or is, it talking, or is it using those pictures of men and women as metaphors or analogies to talk about the relationship that God has with his people? Do you remember that discussion six weeks ago now? And after we talked about it, I concluded that this was actually talking about the goodness of human relationships, of human desire, and its instruction for us about how we are to live with these kinds of desires that we find within ourselves. But, the last little twist, I think, of Song of Songs, is to connect our little human loves to the greater love of God again. Our love burns like the flame of God. And there are different ways of understanding exactly what this means. But I think that what it's saying is that, rightly expressed, human love in marriage is an expression of God's love itself. Which means that when we love one another and commit to one another as we ought to, it's a little window into the much bigger story of love that God has for us. And as we go to the New Testament, we see this described as well. So in the New Testament, for example, it speaks of marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. And there Paul writes, he's talking about marriage, and he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Marriage and commitment sealed together. And then he says, This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the Church. Isn't that interesting? The mystery of human marriage, when expressed rightly, the two becoming one is actually a picture of the greater story of what God is doing for his people of Christ coming to the church. It is the story of the countless, limitless sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And here's why we can see, I think, why commitment is so important in marriage. We're not just here to tell our story in a marriage. We're here to tell God's story. Love is so powerful that it requires the kind of commitment that will be there till the very end in order for it to flourish and when we are able to do that not only do we get to experience the goodness of God's gift of love and we do Song of Songs again describe that for us in detail but we also get to show the world a little taste of what God is doing for us with Christ and the church and this means I can say so I'll speak to you if you're married I just want to encourage you to really Um, Take hold of the vows that you have made and do what you can in order to be able to keep that commitment and that promise that you have made recently or a long time ago. Not only is that a blessing for you and for your spouse but it is also a way of you showing the world in your own little illustration of what Christ is like for the church. And if you are considering getting married in the future or if that is something that you are aiming toward. I want you to remember especially what this lady is saying here in the song. That the the kind of conditions that allows this love to flourish all the way to the very end requires commitment first. And this after all is what the main lesson of Song of Songs has been. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. You must commit in order to experience the blessing of love. Second point here is that the young, the younger ones amongst us need to be cared for and protected. I think that you guys know this very well already. Um, but we do live in a world that is significantly different from the world that our grandparents grew up in. The idea of commitment, um, followed by marriage, followed by a life together is something that our grandparents just kind of often took for granted and did that, and the whole community and the culture went that way. But it doesn't seem like that's the kind of world that we're growing up in, would you agree? Um, There's a lot of pressure on us to say, actually, I'm going to delay commitment and seek love first. I think that's more the way that it seems to go. And I think that that has been something that has continued to uh, increase over the last 20 or 30 years. But it hasn't really delivered on what it's promised. There are many studies that show today that this kind of freedom to experience love in any way that you desire ends up bringing loneliness and anxiety and trauma and brokenness. Love needs commitment in order for it to flourish and commitment needs to come first. We actually need those boundaries. And that's that's the kind of discussion that we get here at the end of chapter 8. So again, the friends, the friends turn up again and they, have a, they want to talk about the, a little sister, maybe a younger one in their, in their group, in their crowd, maybe a, an, an, a niece, or maybe a little sister specifically. And they say, well, what do we do about her? We have a little sister. Her breasts are not yet grown, which means that she hasn't reached maturity yet. What shall we do for our sister on the day she's spoken for? Verse 9, if she's a wall, we'll build towels of silver on her. If she's a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. What are the friends talking about? (laughs) Well, what they're saying is that they've listened to the young lady and sing about the kind of commitment that she desires in order for their love to flourish. They've heard that. And then they say, well, given that, we're going to protect and teach our little sister to wait until marriage. In other words, to, to remain pure until the time that commitment arrives. And that, the language used to describe that is the language in verse 9 of being a wall and a door. The wall picture is of someone who is pure, who is waiting until marriage. And if, if she's like that, they say, we're going we're to reward her, we're going to adorn her. Towers of silver will be built on her. I think that's saying that that will actually make her more desirable if she's able to maintain her purity. On the other hand, if she's vulnerable, if she's a door, they say they're going to act swiftly to look after her. They're going to, they're going to put boards of sea, panels of seed. That's quite the renovation project, isn't it? All over it. Now, we read that and we think, that sounds like a bit of an overreaction, doesn't it? You know, does that sound like a bit of an overreaction? And I think that's partly because we, in our Western kind of Sydney, Australian culture, we tend to think that these sorts of choices are simply our choice and our choice alone. It's my choice, my rules, my way. And so we say to our younger ones amongst us, well, I guess it's up to you to work it out for yourself. That seems to be something of the culture that we're a part of. But the culture that we're reading from was a little bit different, and I think we can learn from it. I think they recognize the importance of community and of family to help the younger ones in their mix grow up well, to be wise, to navigate the altogether challenges of falling in love. And so they say, well, we're going to support the younger ones. We're going to provide them with wisdom. We're going to teach them and we are going to protect them. I think the lesson from verse 8 and 9 for us is that it means that we who are older, and these days I put myself in that bracket too, that we who are older... Need to act in responsible ways to protect the younger ones in our community from harm. We do. They're living, the younger ones amongst us are growing up in a very challenging culture when it comes to love and commitment. And it's up to us who are older to be able to provide the kind of teaching and boundaries to help them to flourish. And if you think that this is difficult for us to do, of course it is. There's going to be many challenging conversations to get that right. But as adults, we always want to care for those who are younger and provide the wisdom that we have learned along the way. And given that love itself is such a strong desire, I think that it is only appropriate for, for adults, for family members, to actually be on the front foot when it comes to protecting those who are younger. And I want to say a word especially to those who are, who are parents in the room as well. I just want to say, don't feel as if you can't talk to your kids about these kinds of things. It's really important that um, our kids hear a different message than the message that they get from school or from the world. They need to hear it from us. They need to hear it from mum and dad. Yes, they, get, they need to hear it from church too. They need to hear it from youth group. They need to hear it from school teachers, all that kind of stuff. But they really do need to hear from you, mum and dad. And especially I want to speak about our daughters and our girls I think we kind of live in a world, this is my understanding and I could be wrong and you can test it based on your own experience of what life is like for you and the community. But I think that we live in a world where girls in particular are being told that their value to boys is in whether or not they are willing to give up their purity and sleep with them. Now, we know that's a lie. We know that's not the right thing for them to do and that will ultimately bring them harm. But that is the culture of the world around us, that the value of girls is seen in whether or not boys are willing to be with them or not. We need to be on the front foot and remind our young women, our daughters and our sisters, that their value comes from having a pure heart, from the fact that they've been made in the image of God, that they've been loved by God And we need to support and strengthen them to seek God's will and to be patient in this. They need to be assured that they are valuable in and of themselves and they need our support in this. They must hear this message from us. I think that we as a community have to be proactive in showing our younger ones that there is a better way to live, that there is a better story than the one that the world around them is telling. And it begins by reminding them that their value is based on who they are in God's sight. And sometimes that means that we have to act on their behalf. And I guess that means that we have to be willing to have awkward conversations at times at home. um, About things that might be acceptable and not. And that is the wisdom of Song of Songs actually for us to learn the wisdom of Song of Songs is not that we simply read it, here and walk away and forget about it that we actually put it into practice in our families for the sake of our children. So parents, church members, please take time to consider God's wisdom and then act on it to provide advice, especially for the younger ones. And if you are younger in the room I want to encourage you to seek the advice of people older than you, of Christians who you trust in these matters, especially your mum and dad. And yes, it's just as awkward for us to have these conversations as it is for you. But please do hear this wisdom and trust God's will for your life. Point number three, the couple need each other. Here we are at verse 10 onwards and... I don't know um, what you think when she says this, but I'll read it again. Uh, We've had lots of awkward things already, so we might as well just keep it going. Verse 10, I'm a wall. This is the young lady. She's the star of the show. She's the star of the song. Um, She speaks and sings more than anyone else's song of songs. And now she gets to this, almost the last word. She says, I'm a wall and my breasts are like towers. Thus I become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. Now, in case you're wondering, I'm pretty sure that she is not saying that she is still a virgin in marriage. I think what she is saying is that she has entered into marriage as a virgin, mature in development. Hence the comment on her, her twin fawns there. And as a result, as a result, thus, she says, she has brought contentment to her husband, which of course brings her joy as well. Now, here we actually see a very interesting Hebrew word. In fact, probably the most well-known Hebrew word, and you, you, whether or not you read the Bible or not, um, I reckon you might have understood this word, is the Hebrew word shalom. Have you heard of that phrase, that word? It, it kind of means blessing or peace, welfare, contentment, happiness. The The idea of having shalom is about being good and right and happy in the world under God. And that is the goal that God has for. For us in this life to experience shalom. And here the young lass says she has brought her husband shalom by keeping her purity for him. Do you remember the chorus of the song? Daughters of Jerusalem, don't awaken love until it so desires. Well I think this is kind of like her little punchline at the end of the song. I waited, I waited and it was absolutely worth it. Waiting until marriage of course Is um, how we should live. Not only is it godly and obedient to follow God's plan for our life in this, but it's also wise. It is the best way for us to experience the good gifts that God has for us to offer. And we need to trust Him at this word. We need to trust Him at this word. Waiting until the right time is the right thing to do. But is that something that many of us are still willing to consider? let me encourage you to hear the wisdom of this book. I know that it's difficult in our culture, I know there's a lot of pressure on us, and that's why we need to hear the wisdom of the song and provide the right kind of advice to one another. I, um, I remember hearing about a guy who, this is quite a few years ago now, who was one of those kind of like, kind of charismatic guys, tall, handsome, think of me and think of someone opposite, right? And uh, he was the sort of guy that all the girls were interested in. and. Um, <coughs> Yeah, lucky guy, right? Anyway, he would go to a bar and he would just catch the attention of the girls so quickly. But this guy was also a Christian and he was a virgin. And he was well known in his group of friends for being that guy. And as a Christian, he he recognised that it was his commitment to honour God with the way that he lived. Anyway, after a few drinks one night, one of the girls got the courage at the bar to ask him why he was not willing to sleep with anyone. And he said... He wanted to reserve himself for one person because his desire was to selflessly please one woman for the rest of his life. As you can imagine, the girl's jaw dropped. That was a vision that was so attractive and so unusual. And it's one that we hardly ever hear about today. We hardly ever hear about today. We as a Christian community need to tell a better story by taking God's wisdom seriously and obeying Him properly. That means we have to trust God, friends. We have to trust God with our relationships with our actions. Encourage His purity before marriage. That is the shalom, the blessing that God promises. So how do we do that? Well, We need to be people who are proactive in this and teaching God's wisdom in these things. And so the book ends with the man singing to his wife in verse 13. He sings, let me hear your voice. And she responds, come away, my beloved, verse 14, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. Be like a gazelle, my, my man, be like a young stag, you choose. When it comes to intimacy, the Bible doesn't simply say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. The Bible says, wait, commit, and then go on, off you go. Be like a gazelle or a stag, smile. God's ways are good for us and they can be a lot of fun as well. Let me finish up here. We've seen in the Song of Songs over the past six weeks or so a picture and a portrait of love with plenty of things for us to enjoy for the couple that are committed to experiencing it together in marriage. It began all the way back in chapter one with a wedding celebration and we noticed the eagerness of the young couple to get away and as we've heard their story, we've, we know it hasn't been easy for them all the time. There have been arguments and challenges, and they've navigated married life with care, affection, and commitment, and joy. God's story for our love life too is amazing and a blessing to be enjoyed at the right time. Remember, daughters of Jerusalem. But the love that we are called to experience in marriage, we also must recognize, and we spoke of this last week too, that it is not ultimate in life, that it is limited, that it is fragile. And some of you here this evening might have experienced perhaps your own degree of brokenness in past relationships. And maybe it's even painful for you to even hear these sorts of things being discussed. My heart goes out to you, I recognize that. That's why it's so important that we remember that even in this picture of love that we've seen week in, week out in Song of Songs, even in this picture of love, we must remember that it is, only, it is not the ultimate thing that God made us for. God made us for far more than our marriages. And you know what? Even and those of us who've been married a long time or a short time know this too, that even the best marriages are a struggle and can be very difficult at times and painful. It's not ultimate. We should not put all our hope in it. God made us for far more than our marriages. And the reality that our marriages point to is actually the ultimate thing that ought to keep our attention. That is that our marriages point to what God is doing for us as his people. It points toward the relationship between Jesus and the church. And our little loves that we try our best to demonstrate in our marriages are ultimately just pointers to the greater and perfect love of God. The love that made the necessary sacrifices in order to demonstrate His commitment for us. His love made the necessary sacrifices to cleanse us from our sin and make us pure again. His love made the necessary sacrifices to ensure that we do not need to live in eternity without Him. God has made us for Himself and His love made the necessary sacrifices in order for us to experience it. That is the ultimate thing that God is calling us to. Please do not lose sight of it. As it says in 1 John chapter 4 verse 9, I'll finish here with these verses. 1 John chapter 4 verse 9 says that this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Did you hear it? (laughs) Did you hear it? How did God show His love? We sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This love that raises us from the grave defeats death and gives us eternal life. It is a love that is in fact stronger than death. So let us, like the young lovers in Song of Songs, let us sing of God's love that saves us. And may we too seek God's blessing on our relationships by following His ways, being patient, being pure and being passionate, enjoying God's blessings now and showing our world that there are still yet greater adventures still in store. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father we thank you that you are a good God who knows us inside out. We thank you for the good gifts that you give to us, help us to trust in your wisdom as we seek to enjoy them in life in different moments and in different ways. We thank you for your commitment to us. We thank you that you have sealed us with your promised Holy Spirit. And we thank you that your presence with us is guaranteed into eternity. We thank you for your love for us that is, in fact, stronger than death. And may we reflect that commitment that you have made to us in our lives in the way that we respond to you as our God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.